This is the word of the Lord. Last week Sunday, we talked about how important it is for our church to love each other. And maybe that's kind of an obvious point, but it really seemed like something that needed to be said. Um, I said last week that if we don't get to a point where we love each other, uh, this church isn't going to get a lot done. Uh, You can have big expectations for what your church should be like or what your church should do. I have big expectations for our church. And, And those expectations can be godly and they can be biblical. But if you don't love your church, you can mostly forget those expectations. I said that if our church does not function with love for each other, our church does not function. And the reason is because we're sinners. Uh, so we, we will disappoint each other, and we will frustrate each other, and we will let each other down, and I will do that to you, and you will do that to me. But I tried to explain this idea that, that Peter brings up in the last verse about love covering over a multitude of sins. And, and I tried to say it was, was kind of like uh, love is the oil in, in the church's engine. I don't know a lot about engines, but I think that was right. Anyway, uh, oil doesn't first like wash away all the contaminants in the engine. First, it just lifts them up into suspension. Uh, right where they're at, it just kind of lifts them up so that the engine can still operate. And I, I said love can sort of function the same way in a community. It's not like love is going to make it so that those sins haven't happened or that there isn't still hurt. Um, or that we don't need to change, but love can sort of put those, those sins into perspective so that we can keep moving. It's kind of what love does in a community. And, and obviously, we're not the first church uh, that ever needed to be reminded of how important it is to love each other. So if you read through the New Testament, basically every book in the New Testament, and they're all written by like different authors at different times to different churches in different cities, and yet pretty much every book has the same theme, how important it is for us to love each other. But then it occurred to me this past week that, that what I said about love could, could maybe be a little misunderstood. You see, I was talking about love mostly as a feeling. Like if you don't, if you don't feel love for the people around you, right? If you don't feel affection for them, if you don't like, I, I'm almost right, like uh, warm fuzzies. Like if you don't have warm fuzzy feelings for the people around you, it's going to be hard to work with each other. And of course, love is a feeling, but love is also more than a feeling. Somebody should write a song about that. I mean, feelings of love are good, right? But we need more than that. Real love needs action. So don't just tell me that you love me, right? Show me that you love me. And so Peter tells this church in our passage today, he says, love each other deeply. But then he gets specific. And he says, offer hospitality to each other. I would say that I have learned a lot about hospitality being a part of this church for the last five years. And I've been struck again and again by how much love 
can be communicated by sharing a meal with somebody. When, I think I've said this before. I think this is probably true. You know, you, you can invite someone to like 100 programs at church, and I'm not sure that it would mean as much as just inviting them to your house one time for a meal. Just like that, that time of like sharing a meal with somebody um, can be so intimate. It is just such a concrete expression of love. Like, I care about you. I want to, I literally, I want to provide for your, your life, for your well-being. So I've really been, been impressed by the, the power of hospitality. But I've also been thinking about how hospitality doesn't, it's not just about food. Like, uh, some of us are not great cooks. Um, I'm not going to name names or anything, but like, that's just true. Some of us are not great cooks. Um, and some of us just don't have the means to, to provide a meal for somebody else. But I was thinking about how hospitality has less to do with food and it's more to do with like a state of mind. Like a good host is somebody who is really intentional about thinking like not um, what do I want this next two hours to look like? But like what would, what would that person want? What would be helpful for them? What's going to make them comfortable? Um, a host is, is always trying to sort of get out of their own head and into the head of their guest to try to offer some hospitality. So I was thinking about how, like, um, we can experience that when, like, somebody just gives you a call out of the blue. They were just thinking of you. They were maybe concerned about how you were doing, and they just call. They just ask how you're doing. And it doesn't have anything to do with food, but... They were, they were sort of trying to anticipate, like, what is this person's needs? And they just reached out. And they didn't just think about you, right? They made the call. I think that's hospitality. Or, uh, like, this time of year, right, raking leaves. Offering to rake somebody's leaves, right? Like, for a lot of people, that's like this huge project. They don't know how they're ever going to get it done. You were thinking ahead. You are thinking, you know, that might be a hard project for them. I'm going to offer to help. Uh, hospitality is, is like that. Hospitality is anticipating another person's need. It is, it is finding a way to put love into action. So Peter says, offer hospitality to each other. But then he adds something that I think is very interesting. He adds, by the way, when you are offering hospitality, try not to grumble about it. You know the guy who, who does something nice, like he gives you a ride across town, but then he spends the whole ride talking about like what an inconvenience it is for him to be giving you this ride, and how much out of the way this is, and how expensive gas is. Or, or the guy who, who makes a meal for his vegetarian friend, and it's a vegetarian meal, uh, but while they're eating, he's explaining how much extra work it was to find this vegetarian recipe, and how this meal really would taste a lot better if there was chicken in it. Uh, you know that guy? Don't be that guy. Um, we have this tendency to, to make even our good works, right? Like even our acts of love, this opportunity sometimes to point out how much we suffered to make this happen or, or like how hard this is for us or how put out we were by making this happen. And Peter is saying, just let your good works be good works. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to impress anybody. Just offer hospitality without grumbling. 
Although I will say that in the church, I think this is easier said than done. And I was thinking that because we don't really get to choose our church. I mean, we kind of do, maybe once. Right? Like when you first join a church, you're kind of choosing. But some of you know, like you, you make that decision based on really limited information, right? And then as soon as you've joined the church, immediately the church changes. And so I think the truth is that in any church, there will be people that you really like. And there will be people you don't like. Sometimes I talk about hard-to-love people. Every church has them. Uh, They rub you the wrong way. Their opinions are too loud. Their style is abrasive. And in almost any other setting in life, we would just avoid people like that. We would just defriend them. But in the church, we choose not to use that option. We're stuck with each other. And so while it's, I think it's probably relatively easy to have a friend over for a meal, in the church, the question becomes, what about that guy? Like, the one who's hard to love. I'm guessing all of you have somebody that you're thinking of right now. Right? Like, how do we love that guy? that maybe we don't even really like? How do we serve those people? How do we think about their interests first when we have no warm, fuzzy feelings about them? Well, I think the key to pulling this off is verse 10. Where Peter says, uh, each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others. So this is a pretty basic tenet of most faiths. You know, use your talents, use your skills, use your money, right? Like whatever it is, like whether it's big or small, use whatever you've got, not for yourself, but for others. Serve others, right? So a lot of religions sort of talk this way. But Christianity has a particular emphasis. You see, Peter doesn't say, Use your talents to serve others. And he doesn't say use your skills to serve others. And he doesn't say use your money to serve others. Though I think that's exactly what he's talking about. I think it's exactly what he means. He's talking about skills and money and talents. But he says something else. He says use whatever gifts you have received to serve others. Use whatever gifts you have received. Most of us don't think of the money that we get from our paychecks as a gift. We, we earn that. Right? Or the talents that I have, they don't feel like a gift. They feel a lot like things that I worked really hard to develop. Like I went to school, I studied hard. Peter says, use whatever gifts you have received to serve others. And I think it's kind of like a, a backdoor reminder I hope a gentle reminder. Like, you know the stuff that you're good at? You know your talents and your skills and your bank account? Those are gifts. Those are gifts. And I think this is essential to Christian identity, okay? Um, All of life, every part of our lives, it's not something that we earned. In a sense, it's not even something that we can even own. All of life is a gift, 
That's what grace means. Grace literally means gift. It's an undeserved gift. And grace is at the heart of the Christian faith. And so we, we serve others. We do. We serve others. Not because we're told to. Not because they deserve it. But we serve others because everything we could give to serve, it's a gift. Everything we've got is a gift. Why not pass it on? I was touched this week. I, I heard a story of a, a member of our church who, who, who loaned their car to someone for a few weeks, uh, to someone they knew who was in need. And, and when somebody asked them about it, they said, well, it's not really my car anyway. It's God's car. Like, what was this person saying? I think this person was saying, the fact that I have a car and you do not isn't because I'm more deserving or more responsible. Right? Even my car is a gift from God. I want to use it to serve others. I was thinking, um, you know, like the ultimate faux pas, like the ultimate don't do this at Christmas and birthday time is re-gifting, right? You know this, this rule? Right? So like taking the sweater they got last year and pretended it was awesome when you got it but never wore it and giving it to your brother-in-law this year, um, Lauren tells me that re-gifting is a big no-no. Okay, so I, I'm going to hang on to that sweater. Um, but, but for Christians, I was thinking about this, for Christians, re-gifting is basically all we do all the time. We take what God has given us and we pass it on. That's, it's basically, that's the Christian life. The Christian life is like one constant re-gifting. Peter says that when we use our gifts, right? When we use our grace, it's the same word. When we use our graces to serve others, we are administering God's graces, God's gifts in their various forms. We're taking the grace that we have received and we're passing it on in all these different ways. That's the Christian life. And I think this idea of grace, it needs to get really deep in us. Because, you know, I, I can talk about hard-to-love people, and we can kind of laugh about it. But there's a reason they're hard to love. You know? and, and I'm guessing that you and I will only ever do the minimum for people like that. Like, maybe like a little bit of love, but always with a little bit of grumbling too. Um, we will only love a little so long as we think that what we have is ours. It's stuff that, that we've earned, that we deserve. Stuff, that, you know, these are my skills. This is my money. This is my time. But in my experience, real love will start turning into action as soon as you realize one really important truth, it's a hard truth, but it's an important one. You are the hard-to-love person. Okay? You are the hard-to-love person. Uh, you think you make it easy for God to love you? <laughs> I mean, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for myself. How flaky am I with God? How inconsistent 
I will not even enumerate all the ways that I am inconsistent. But what does he do? He goes up on a cross and he dies for us. It's grace. I I think it's one of the most important realizations any Christian needs to come to, to really be hospitable, to really love deeply, to be transformed by the gospel. You need to see how the problems in the world that we all like complaining about, like those problems aren't just out there. Here, and those people who annoy you, and and those people who let you down—like, guess what? You are one of those people. I am one of those people. You know those those people who profess to be Christians but really continue to hold on to idols, who who don't really give God their whole life. Ding, ding, ding. That's you. That's me. When we realize that. Whatever good gifts we have from God, we didn't earn them. The whole thing, it's a gift. I think when we realize that, it it becomes so much easier to pass it on. It's a gift. Even even if we did work really hard for it. You know, I was thinking about David and Christy. They left this week for Cameroon again to work at the Mbingo Hospital. Um... And I was, you know, the arrangement they've got to do that, it's kind of complicated and, and it costs a lot of money for them to go and, and time off of work and that gets complicated and, and it's difficult. And it's like, why do they give up their time and their money to fly to Cameroon and, and to work in this dingy, under-resourced hospital on the other side of the world every year? It's because they know that their skills in medicine, their training, even their time, They know that their lives are not their own. They're a gift. And you talk to those guys and you will hear that they are the recipients of grace and they want to pass that grace on. That's the Christian life. And it all starts with Jesus. The ultimate gift. So Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus says, I came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. He came for others. He came to pass on grace. And it says that he didn't just come. It says he came to give his life. He came to give his life. It's the cross. And I know I didn't deserve that. It was a gift. But when I let that that gift sink in. I think it changes everything. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we pray that we would come to know how our lives are a gift from you, how our faith is a gift from you, how all the good things that we have are gifts from you. And Lord, may the fact that these did not come from ourselves, but that they are from you, may that make us so much more generous and so much more hospitable. May we be eager to share what we have with others as an overflow of your abundance to us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.